Father, we are so thankful to be able to come to church once again and to sing such great songs that remind us of exactly why we are here. Father, we want to thank You so much for sending Your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and bleed and die on a cross so that we could be forgiven and free from our sin. But Lord, it doesn't just stop there. This song we sang just a few moments before talked about Your Spirit, Your Holy Spirit that You had as part of Your plan all along to fill us and empower us and to guide us and to speak to us. And Jesus, I I pray right now for everyone who's in this room, anyone who may be watching, that if there is any kind of sin in our life, anything that is there that we just feel burdened or heavied with this morning, that we would just right now confess that and cry out for Your mercy and Your grace and, and plead and repent and seek that forgiveness of that sin. Because I really do believe that the passage of Scripture we're reading in today and and just the wonderful gifts that You have for us are so beneficial if we can move past the guilt and the shame. And so, Father, I pray that we would come and we would seek Your face and we would open up our hearts today and we would be vulnerable and we would present ourselves before You on our hands and our knees and we would invite You in to work and move and to cleanse us and to change us. Lord, anybody in in here today who doesn't confess that we need to be changed does not truly understand who You are and the dynamics of our relationship with You. Every one of us in this room this morning needs to change and needs to grow and needs to mature in our relationship with You. So Father, we invite You in today. As always, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, thank You so much for being with Mr. Quay and helping him. Lord, it's great to see him today. Father, we continue to pray for Ted and Inga and Ralph and Kathy, for Dan and Rita. God, we lift up Pat and Helen and Miss Carolyn Johnson, anyone, all of our people who aren't able to be here today. We trust and believe that you can be with them in these moments and you can minister to them as you minister to us. We cling to that and we cry out in faith. And Father, we give you this time. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives because they have always been yours. And we acknowledge that before you today. We love you and we thank you. And we ask all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. What is great to be with you today. And if you uh, missed last week, our, our new series is titled The End of the Beginning. And so over the next several weeks as we approach Easter, we're talking a lot about basically the last week of Jesus' life. And as you read, especially in the Gospel of John, um, we said this last week, there's a significant portion of Scripture that's really devoted to the last week of Jesus' life as He is 
leading his disciples around. He's, he's basically cramming, okay? He's cramming as much teaching and examples and information as he possibly can into their lives because in just a few short days, he's no longer going to be with them. Life is going to change as they know it. And he, as he's cramming, he's doing all this. He's also going to be fulfilling everything about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He's going to fulfill it. And so the Old Covenant is coming to an end. And we're not going to do away with it. We're not going to throw it away. It's going to be fulfilled through the blood of Christ. And we're ushering in a new covenant through the blood of Jesus in which you and I have the wonderful privilege of capitalizing off of the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. And as Christians today, we're going to talk about this a little more, but we love to talk about the grace and love and mercy of Jesus. And it is great. And it is something that we should cling to and that we should appreciate and we should take advantage of because it's there for everyone who would call on the name of Jesus. It's important. It's what initiates our relationship with Christ. But what we're communicating today is that it's not just about saying that we believe in Christ because all the disciples are with Jesus. They believe in Him. You with me? Like they're, they're following and, and they're making these bold proclamations. No, we'll be with you. I'll die with you. We'll, we'll do this. And there's, there was times in scripture and I forget which disciple it was said they were going to follow him to Jerusalem. It's like, well, let's go with him and we'll die with him because they knew when he got to Jerusalem, they were going to want to kill him. They were willing to follow him to death, but there was something in them that just wasn't prepared. It wasn't strong. They, they weren't ready for what was coming. And Jesus is trying to convince them of this. And as the end of the beginning is coming upon them, as the old covenant is coming to an end and Jesus is about to fulfill the old covenant, and he's going to pay that price and salvation is going to be made available to all people, there needs to be something else that takes place in order to help everyone who's going to profess faith in Jesus Christ to be who God is calling them to be. And Jesus is preparing them of this. You know, we, we talked about it. He told them that he was going to die. Whew, they just couldn't understand it right over their head. He told them that he was going to resurrect from the grave. Whew, they don't even remember it. Totally forget it. Tells them he's going to ascend to heaven. He's going to go be with the Father. He tells them even that he talks about the Holy Spirit. He tells them of his second coming. And, and, and he does this multiple times. And it just right over their head. They just cannot comprehend what's going on. And so today in John chapter 14, we're going to be reading verses 12 to 21. And we're we're reading the end of one section as Jesus is, is cramming, like he's teaching, teaching, teaching in these last moments. And we're going to be beginning the beginning of a new section, but it's in the same chapter. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is huge. Because Jesus knows that the disciples cannot be who He is calling them to be without the Holy Spirit. This is why He's, he, he's leaving them. And let's talk about that. So let's read together John chapter 14, verses 12 to 21. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. If you're sitting here this morning and you say that you believe in Jesus Christ, you need to understand that fruits must accompany your proclamation of faith. 
as Jesus is cramming in these final moments and he's telling his disciples, and this is teaching to his disciples, but he's also telling his disciples, anyone else who's going to claim to be a believer in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you really pay attention to the wording in this, and you're talking about what Jesus is communicating, so we'll do the same works that Jesus has done, but we'll do even greater works than He's done. I'm 20-something years into salvation, and I think it's pretty fair to say that as I evaluate my own life, I don't feel like I've done greater works than Jesus has done. Anybody else with me in that book? Okay, so thank you for being honest and raising your hand and participating in the service, for those of you who did. Because we all have growing to do. Like, none of us are there. None of us have, have reached the goal, accomplished the task. None of us are where God has called us to be. But I think it's really important to, to remind ourselves as believers that while we live in a society that says, You're, you just do the best you can and that's good enough and everybody's going to get a trophy and everybody's a winner, while our society says that, we serve a living God who has some really high expectations for us as believers. You call on the name of Jesus Christ and you want salvation and you want to be forgiven of your sin and you want to have a, that, that guilt removed from you and to feel like you're a totally new person and new creation in God and you want eternal life. There's some really high expectations that God has for us as believers. And Jesus said for you to do the same works He did and even greater works than He has done. And that's big. And I haven't got there yet, and so I'm not throwing stones this morning. I'm just saying that we need to be honest in the evaluation of ourselves and realize that we can all grow in our relationship with Christ. We can all mature, we can all do better, and that's why we're here this morning, because we all need to grow, we all need to do it. Verse 13, You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. This is not a genie-in-the-bottle statement. Jesus is not here for you to ask for a house or land or a million dollars or a billion dollars, whatever it is, that you want to ask for and get it in His name. Pay attention to the Scripture. Pay attention to the verse and see how it reads. He says, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. If what you're asking for does not provide the opportunity for Jesus to bring glory to God the Father, I wouldn't count on it too much. It's not that God doesn't want to bless you. It's not that it's wrong for you to have nice things or to have a million dollars. What I'm saying is, is don't call on the name of Jesus thinking that, well, I called on the name of Jesus and I asked for this and He didn't give it to me, so He's a liar. It's like, no, Jesus' purpose is to bring glory to God. And everything that Jesus is doing in us and through us is to bring glory to God. He saved you to bring glory and honor to God. He wants your life to bring glory and honor to God. You can ask for anything in His name to bring glory and honor to God, and in that you can have faith to know that He will answer you when you do it. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep going. Verse 14. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now and later will be in you. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and I think it's really interesting as Jesus is saying this, He's like, you know Him. 
You know the Holy Spirit because He lives with you. Well, what does that mean? Well, in this moment, Jesus is physically with them. And guess what Jesus is filled with? The Spirit of God. He's filled with the Spirit. Remember when He's being baptized? And John Baptist baptizes Him, and He comes up, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Him like a dove in that passage of Scripture. So Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. They are witnessing Jesus living and doing all these things, who is filled with the Holy Spirit. So they see it from a distance... But they don't know what it's like for the Spirit to live in them at this moment in time. But Jesus is saying, you know it, you know what it looks like. And there's coming a time where it's going to live in you. And in verse 18, he says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans because he's preparing them. I'm about to leave. I'm not going to be with you anymore, but I'm not abandoning you. You're not going to be orphans. I will come to you. In verse 19, soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Some of this is a little confusing. I want you to think about it for a second. As he's talking to me, saying, the world's not going to see me any longer, but you'll be able to see me. Since I live in you, since I live, or sorry, since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father. And you are in me, and I am in you. And he's talking about this, this amazing exchange that's going to take place here in just a few days. Jesus is, he's actually leaving them, which is really weird, but he's not leaving them. He's not abandoning them. Actually, he's going to be with them more later on than what he's ever been before. Like, even though they can see him, they can like go and poke him and touch him and ask him a question. He's going to be with them more in the coming days than what he has ever been in his physical life. And because he's raised from the dead, they'll know that he's of the Father, in the Father. And that Jesus is also in them and they are in Him. Like it's, We're all connected. We're all one together. Verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. Marinate on that for a little bit. And I will love them and reveal myself to teach each of them. So in our points today, there's four points. And all of these points are things that Christ desires for us as He is talking about us being filled with the Holy Spirit. Point number one is Jesus wants us to be like Him. We need to understand that. Jesus wants us to do the same works that He did, and He's even providing us with the ability to do greater works than He did. And so if you're sitting here this morning, you know, it's really important for us to understand that there's always been a calling for us to take up our cross and to follow Christ. Everything about Jesus calling people to follow Him has been say, hey, come and do as I'm doing. There's never been a time where Jesus said, hey, go do that, because that's below me. I went to a conference this this past Thursday at a pretty large church, and the pastor of that church, several thousand people, I think it was a great testimony that he gave, because he grew up in a pastor's home, and his mama went to church and she said uh, they were at the church doing a work day like long, you know, decades ago and there was a light bulb that needed to be replaced and then the pastor made the comment at that time, he was like, I didn't go to seminary to change light bulbs. 
And he was like, so it doesn't matter what you do as a pastor, you need to be able to do whatever it is that you're asking your congregation to do. I think that's a pretty fair statement, right? And then when you look at Jesus who comes in the flesh, Jesus doesn't come and says, hey, go do that because that's beneath me. Jesus comes and does exactly what he's asking us to do. That's a true leader. And then you look at the story, which we talked about last week, um, the woman washing Jesus' feet, how she got it and the disciples didn't. But in the coming days, in John chapter 13, right before this chapter we're reading today, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And do you remember what he said when he got done? He said, do you understand what I've just done? Do you understand why I did what I did? Because if I, as I have washed your feet, you too should also wash one another's feet. That Jesus got on his hands and knees and took the position of a slave, a servant, to give an example of his disciples of what they should be doing for one another and other people. It's all about serving. Jesus calls us to do what he has done. And we said earlier, if you are claiming to have faith in Jesus Christ this morning, it's really important for you to understand that it's not just about reaching out and picking the fruit of grace and love and mercy. And you're just, you're just consuming constantly this grace and love and mercy and there's nothing expected of you in return. Christ did not call us to be takers. Christ called us to be servants. Jesus said, For even I, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve others. Jesus calls us to be like Him. And in fact, Jesus went beyond this world to give us extra help to be like Him. He understands in this moment. He has got to leave and go to the Father so that He could be our advocate, so He can sit beside the right hand of God and plead on our behalf. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to fill us and empower us to do the things that He's asking us to do because we can't do it on our own. You're sitting here this morning and you're frustrated in your relationship with Christ. And you're just like, man, I'm trying. I can't do it. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't like praying. I don't like going to church. I don't like doing this. And whenever something happens, like I don't act like I know what Christ wants me to do. If you try to do it on your own, you're not going to do it. You're going to fail. And you're going to be frustrated. And eventually you're going to get to the point where you're just going to like give up or walk away and just be done with it. Because when you get defeated constantly, it's demoralizing. It, it takes everything out of you. But Jesus did not bleed and die so that you can be defeated. Jesus bled and died so you can be victorious. He wants to give you the ability to do the things that He did and even greater things. He wants you to be like Him. Point number two. Jesus also wants us to be obedient. And we have to be careful because it's like, okay, to be like Jesus and to be obedient, like, isn't that the same thing? Like, yeah and no. Because the disciples have this amazing advantage that you and I don't get. We've never had. So the disciples had Jesus in their lives. They could reach out and touch Him. They talked with Him. They had conversations. They probably saw Jesus turn around and use the bathroom at some point in time. They were that close to Him. They had access to Jesus like nobody else in the world had. And in the midst of this, Jesus is calling them, Hey, follow me. Follow my example, do as I'm doing. But he's also communicating in this passage to them that you need to obey my commands. Because what's going to happen when Jesus leaves? 
when, when, he, when he dies and then he ascends to heaven, he's not going to be with them anymore. And, and there's a big difference between being able to look at someone and, and copy their behaviors and learn from them, because that's powerful to be able to do that. But Jesus isn't going to be there anymore. And then what's left? His commandments, his teachings. And there's a need in our lives as followers, especially for you and I, because we never got to touch Jesus. I don't know about you. I've never heard the audible voice of Christ. Everything that I've been doing has been by faith. Like I've had some powerful moments in my life, but you know, we, we live by faith. And I think we'll be blessed for that. Scripture says that we'll be blessed for, because we live by faith, that we follow Christ without seeing. But they had an advantage we didn't. But at the same time, they were going to experience what life was like with Christ, being personally there. And then they were going to experience what life was like when Christ was no longer with them and present. And they couldn't just say, hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? They were going to have to pursue him in a totally different way. And Jesus says you need to be obedient. And this is so important. Because it's easy to believe and do all this stuff when he's alive, but when he's away, it's kind of hard to be like him after he's gone because you don't have that visible example anymore. You don't have the monkey see, monkey do thing anymore. Now you have to remember what he's, what he's taught, his teachings, and you have to be obedient. And it's hard to remember. You think about the disciples. Dude, they didn't get it. They didn't remember a lot of what Jesus said. You look at the Gospels, and the disciples are weak, and they're failing, and they're deserting, and they're betraying, and they're denying, and they're doing everything that you could possibly do as a person who claims to be a follower of Christ that's just abysmal failure. But he calls us to be obedient. And he says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. Any of you ever heard of the, the book Five Love Languages? Raise your hand if you ever heard of it. Okay. Um, this is a book written by Dr. Gary Chapman in the early 90s. It's like 1992 or something like that. If you're a married couple and you're struggling, I would advise you to get this book and read it. It's a great book. A lot of really good stuff. But when we do premarital counseling with couples... Any couple that comes up asks me to marry them, I make them do premarital counseling. It's not an option or I just don't marry. And so as Hannah and I are meeting with these couples, and we generally, we don't require them to read a book, but we talk about the book because the five love languages, it's, it's a good concept. And so basically the point of the book is there's five love languages that most people can be identified with. And those five love languages are physical touch, quality time, words of affirmation, gifts and acts of service. And so as an individual, most people, within reason, receive love in one of those five ways and sometimes more than those five ways. And what we tell young couples is, is they're getting ready to go into marriage and they're getting ready to like invest in one another's life. Like marriage is hard. It's great, but it's hard. And you got to work at it. And so you got to put the time and the effort in. As you're Going into this relationship, you have to understand who your spouse is. And for example, for, for Hannah and I, Hannah is very much physical touch. Like she's a physical touch person. And so on any given day, Hannah is, is like right on my hip pocket. Uh, we, we had to like rearrange our furniture. No joke, rearrange our furniture in our house so that we didn't have two separate seats. We had the couch so we could sit 
like that. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's her love language. And so it was really, and I hate that. Can I be honest? Like, it's like, it's not that I don't like to touch her. I just hate to, because I'm up against the arm of the couch. And God bless our kids. They all have the physical touch love language too. And so sometimes I'm like two kids and a wife, and I'm like, oh, I can't breathe. But as, as an act of love, that was like, that was one of the greatest ways that I could show an act of love is, is really to rearrange the furniture. And we fought about it for about six months before I finally did it. But to rearrange the furniture so that, so she could receive that love. Okay. Um, but that's not my love language. And so I receive love language in different ways. And I have yet to reveal that to Hannah what that is. So I like to play mind games with her and make her try really hard. But in the love languages, you have to be really careful because our natural tendency is to give love how we receive love. Okay? So just because Hannah is, and I'm picking on Hannah, and I don't mean to, but it's, it's an easy example, and I don't want to pick on any of our young couples who's been married here lately, so I'll pick on Hannah. So it's easy for Hannah to give physical touch because that's how she received love. That's how, that's how she feels the most loved is during physical touch. And so I have to be very conscious, that even though that's not what I prefer, to make sure that that's how I express love to her because that's how she receives love. And she has to be very conscious when she expresses love, not to necessarily express to me how she likes to receive love because that's not very loving to me. And in fact, if you're not careful, if you're constantly just going to your, uh, to your spouse and you're um, trying to receive love, basically you're just taking from them, you're drawing from them, and, and that can be exhausting. And you have to be very careful in that because you want to show them that you love them, and it needs to be this equal reciprocating acts of love. Well, let's talk about Jesus, because that's what we're here for. You're not here to talk about my marriage. Jesus, His love language is obedience. He says, if you love me, Obey my commandments. And this is the hard part, okay? This is a really hard part of the sermon. If you love me, obey my commandments. Anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. Jesus says it over and over and over again. And I want to tell you this morning, if you claim to be a follower of Christ and you're not being obedient to the teachings of Christ, you do not love Jesus. You can say that you love Jesus and you can scream and shout grace, love, and mercy and, and his, his blood covers a multitude of sins and, and that may be true, but I'm telling you this morning, you, you try that with anyone else in the world and you just come and you just shout your love because our love language as Christians is grace and love and mercy, isn't it? We love grace and love and mercy. We need that. We can't have eternal life without grace and love and mercy. So what do we want? Grace, love, and mercy. Pour it on me, baby, because I need it every day. And we do. But if you want to show Christ how much you love Him, you have to be obedient. Because if not, you're not showing love. You're just taking, taking, taking. You're exhausting what Christ bled and died for you to have, and you're just taking it for granted. You just constantly are consuming, and that is not what Jesus Christ bled and died on the cross for you to do. Jesus Christ bled and died on the cross for you to have grace and love and mercy. He died so that you could experience that. He died for you to have that. And at the same time, He went to the Father, and He sent the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in each of us, 
to give us the power and ability to be obedient to his teachings. And that's how we show the love of Christ. But it doesn't even stop there. Because he also called you to follow him, to take up your cross and to follow him. And as he got down on his hands and knees and he washed his disciples' feet, he says, I've done this so that you will know that you're supposed to do this. And the grace and love and mercy that we talk so much about and we love to receive when we need it is the same grace and love and mercy that we should go out into the world and proclaim for the world to have because we're called to serve others. And so in this whole idea of salvation and giving your heart and life to Christ, we cry out for the grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. We repent of sin. We follow Him. We, we, we cry out to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered to be obedient. Because you can't be obedient on your own. You can't remember all of the teachings of Christ. There's a lot of teachings of Christ. But I promise you, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and your heart's focused on God, it's amazing at what you'll do that you don't even have to have a specific verse and scripture and chapter context of what was being said, but you'll know it in your heart. It's like, this ain't right. He'll put it in your heart. When the Spirit's in you, it'll be in your heart. And so you cry out to Christ to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you can be obedient. And Jesus knew one day he's not going to be with them anymore. Coming soon, he's not going to be with them anymore. But they still need to be obedient. And you and I have never seen Jesus with our own eyes. We've never touched him with our own fingers. We've never heard his voice with our own ears. More than likely, I'm not going to cut you short if you have. I'm just saying like more than likely, most of us have never heard the audible voice of Jesus Christ. But we still have his teachings. And we have his Holy Spirit, which puts... Which puts his law on our hearts and you'll feel it when it's there to give us the power and ability to be obedient to him. Point number three, Jesus wants to be with us. This is really important. And this is kind of the conundrum of of the passage because he's preparing them. I'm not going to be with you anymore. I'm leaving you, but I want to be with you. Who says that? Like that, that's a hard teaching. But it's better for him to leave because when he does leave, the Holy Spirit can come and he knows this. And even though he is leaving them physically, he's actually going to be more present with them than ever. So he he wants to be with us. And he's telling them, he's explaining where he's going. He's like, you know where I'm going. And Thomas is like, no, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Like you keep saying we know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. How will we find you? And he says, if you obey my commands... You will find me and I will come and find you and I will come and meet you and I will take you to where I'm going. And so like like even thinking about this whole aspect of our relationship with Christ and grace and love and mercy and being filled with the Holy Spirit and being a be, it all ties into what we're moving towards for eternal life. To understand that as we are obedient to Christ and we're filled with the Spirit, we understand more and more where Jesus is and you'll be surprised at how more and more you'll desire to go to be where he is. Because I can dare to say, we have a lot of young people in here this morning, most of us aren't in here and, and, and shouting and singing like Henry Cash, saying, I'm ready to go. Maybe when we're 92, we might shout, say we're ready to go. But right now, I'm not ready to go. But the more and more you, love, you know Christ, and the more you're filled with the Spirit, and the more you realize what heaven is like, the more you will desire to go and be where that is. That gets put in your heart. That's not something natural you're just going to experience on your own or come to on your own. Christ will put that in there. But He wants to be with us. And 
And this is why he said, if you're obedient, you'll find me. You'll know where I am. And he told them. He told them over and over and over again. And we've said it over and over and over again. They were failing. They were weak. They were fleeing. They were deserting. They were denying. They were betraying. They were doing everything you could not want to do as a believer. And then all of a sudden, in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, you see these 11 men who are left. And they're completely different people. And they're doing everything that Jesus did and even more. And it's powerful. So Jesus wants to be with them and he's setting it up so he can actually be with them. Point number four, last one, Jesus wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he taught this so many times and our passage today is just one of many where he's saying, look, I'm going to the Father. We're going to send an advocate. We're going to send this thing that you need in order to have the ability to do everything I'm asking you to do. The awesome thing about Jesus is that he, do, he, he not only doesn't call us to do anything that He wouldn't do, He also doesn't call you to do anything that's not possible for you to do. You with me today? So everything in Scripture that God calls you to is possible. It's not possible in your own strength, but through God all things are possible. Through Christ all things are possible. And in Him, He creates the possibility for you to do everything He's calling you to do. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. And it leads us into truth, and it implants God's Word in our heart. And that's why I think it's so important that we are seeking and crying out for God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, because you don't even have to know Scripture front and back and know every law in the Old Testament and every teaching of Christ. You will live your life with the Holy Spirit in your heart, and it will reveal to you what is right and wrong and what you should and shouldn't be doing. You will be obedient to the Lord without even having to know a specific teaching of Christ in that moment in time. He will put it there inside you. And it's one of those things, it's like, I just couldn't even do that. As, like, what, you'll, you'll get to that point where it's like, I can't even imagine doing that. Because I know how disappointing and heartbreaking that would be to Christ if I did that. He will put it inside of you. It will be planted there. And it's so cool because they've been able to see Jesus this whole time. And they've been able to look at Him, and it's obvious. Like, there's something very different about Christ, and He's filled with the Spirit of God. And He's constantly praying. He, he's, you know, even when He's praying and they're falling asleep, it's like Jesus is just doing everything that they can't do. And sometimes our relationship with Christ, man, it seems like we're, we're so defeated. We're, we're just constantly struggling. We're not doing what we know we're supposed to be doing. And, and there's, I dare to say there's a lot of us in here this morning that you can look as, and, and you claim to be a believer in Christ, and you've asked Christ into your heart and forgiveness of sins, and, and you're trying to read your Bible, and you're trying to pray, and you're trying to go to church, and you're trying to do everything that you know to do as an individual to do what Scripture's telling you to do, and you're struggling. And you look at someone else and you say, man, like there's something different about them. Like they just, they have it. Like they, they have the knowledge, they have the desire, they have the joy, they have this, they have that. And I'm over here and I'm just trying to keep my head above water so I don't drown in my relationship with God. And the difference is, is that most people who claim to be a follower of Christ have never really been filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We've never put ourselves in the situation and crying out and desired to say, God, here I am, fill me. I don't have the ability to be a Christian. I cried out to you for grace and love and mercy and forgiveness, and I felt that. I felt the guilt go away when I called on your name. But man, my relationship with you has been struggle at best. And you see other people, you see other people who have the Holy Spirit in their lives, and it just seems like, dude, it's just easy. They're just trotting through, and they're killing it, and they're doing great, and they're doing amazing things in the name of the Lord. And you're just like, what's missing in my life? And the truth is... It's the Spirit of God. It is the only thing that can help you be who God has called you to be. It's the only way that it's even possible for you to be who God has called you to be is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And most of us are just outsiders looking in and we're, we, we've viewed someone. We know what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, but we can't exactly figure out what it is and why we're not experiencing that. And I want to challenge you this morning because it's not something that you can just go and you can come down to the altar right now and you can say, okay, God, I'm I'm here. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And it just happened like that. And it might be the Lord's will for some of you to do that. There might be one person in here. You come down to the altar right now and you say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And he fills you right now. And then there might be some of you that it may be a little bit. And you have to say, God, I'm in this for the long haul. And it's kind of like what we talked about whenever we fast and we pray, that we don't just do it. And whenever He doesn't answer immediately, we, we wash our hands of it, quit, and go the other way. But we say, God, I'm going to be on my hands and knees, and I'm going to keep crying out to You, and I'm not going to stop until You fill me with Your Holy Spirit. Until I know that You live inside of me, because I'm tired of seeing other people with something that I don't have. I'm tired of seeing other people... And it's not like you're mad at them because, you know, we want people to live for Christ. So we're not jealous of those people, but we want what they have. It's the good kind of coveting. It's like the only time you can actually covet and want something someone else has and it'd be a good thing for you to look and say, God, I want what they have. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to have a desire for you. I want to read your Word and enjoy it. I want to get down on my hands and knees and pray and enjoy it. I want to go to church and be like, man, that was great. That's the best thing I've done all week. And you're not going to be like that until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. But we have to make a decision in our lives of whether or not we want to keep the struggle or we want to be filled with power and authority and the ability to serve God the way that He called us to. You know, the grace and the love and the mercy, it's great. We all need it. We all need it. But it's not all that we need. We need more. And your relationship with God was not just meant to be this constant reach out for grace and love and mercy because we're just constantly living in sin and returning to our sin like Proverbs says, a dog returns to its vomit. That's not the life that Christ meant for you. That's not what He died for. He bled and died so that we could receive the grace and love and mercy, but then we could be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and receive power. And receive the ability to do what He's calling us to do. And do even more. And to experience that true, intimate, loving relationship with God that you hear other people talk about. It's just like, I don't know why, man. It's just not there. And the only thing that's missing is the Spirit of God. And when you look at the disciples, Jesus told them, 
You go to Jerusalem and you wait there until the Spirit comes. And I want to challenge you today as believers. If you find your place of prayer and you keep going there and you wait there until it comes, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't get frustrated. Your relationship with Christ is going to be a struggle until you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there will still be hard times, but the Spirit gives us the ability to overcome all the things that we usually struggle with before. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day and this time together. And thank you for the men and women in this room. I ask that you would speak into our hearts right now. And God, that you would put a desire and a need and an urge in every one of our hearts to just say, God, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with you. I want to know what it's like to have you living in me. I want to know what it's like to have your word written in my heart. I want to know what it's like to just have joy when I read your word and joy when I pray and joy when I come to church. Father, only you can do that. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the people who are here who who are struggling. Because Lord, it, it shows in their hearts that they want you because they've been struggling through it in order to have it. They've been trying their very best to be with you. And Lord, I prayed today that you would see that. You would see their efforts. But God, our efforts are not good enough. We need your Holy Spirit to give us the power and the strength to do it. And so God, we cry out to you right now that you would come and invade our hearts and invade our lives and that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit that you've always intended for us to have so that we can have victory through the power and the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ. We love you today and thank you. And we ask that you would be with us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.